what we often see is that folks are very intimidated to start exercising, especially to start strength training. Yeah. They're worried about uh, surgery or an injury, or they just think they can't do it. And what often happens, literally, I would say 90% of the time is their perception of themselves doesn't match reality. That folks are often way more capable of doing more than what they perceive. Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Nolte, geriatric physical therapist, weight loss coach, and passionate disease prevention expert. I used to struggle with emotional eating, sugar cravings, and consistency. Then I learned how to lose the mental and physical weight once and for all with a low insulin lifestyle. Each week on the Reshape Your Health podcast, you'll learn simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies to help you do the same. If you're ready to create a body and life you love, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reshape Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Nolte, and today we have Dr. Dustin Jones, and he's a geriatric specialized physical therapist, just like I am. So Welcome. I'm excited to have another one of my kind on here. He's the co-founder of Stronger Life, which is a science-based training center that improves the physical, mental, and social health for people 55 plus. And he is specializing in helping, you know, people age better and helping them really discover their strength, no matter how old they are. And he also travels across the country, teaching other rehab clinicians and fitness professionals how to better serve people over 55 plus. And this is really important. So I've talked about on the podcast before, um, there are a lot of, there's a lot of underdosing in geriatric rehab. We're going to talk about that and other kind of major problems going on right now with geriatric rehab and fitness training. Um, but before we get there, just welcome. And will you kind of tell our audience a little bit more about yourself and how you got into this realm of geriatric fitness? Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I'm super, yeah. super pumped to chat with you. So my, my background and training, I would say originally I was more focused on athletics and sports, um, which in our background of physical therapy, that's a pretty common track. People probably played high school sports. They got hurt. Oh, physical therapy seems cool. Cause they helped me. I'm going to go to PT school. And I was definitely that, that type of student. And so I, I went through all of my training focused on being a physical therapist that mainly works with athletes, maybe a, a particular high school athletic team, college team, whatever. I kind of went that route. But then when I got out into the field, I took a job at, in a skilled nursing facility uh, or a nursing home, as, as some may, may call that. And what I found really interesting. There were two things that are really interesting. One was really uh, terrible and sad. The other one was really motivating. The first one being what you mentioned before, the underdosage of how a lot of the folks in that particular setting uh, were given physical therapy, quote unquote, that was way too easy for them. It did not challenge them whatsoever, did not promote adaptation. They were just kicking a balloon. They were flailing their limbs doing ankle pumps, whatever, uh, saying it's physical therapy, but not really challenging them to a manner that's going to, to encourage progress. That was really discouraging. And then the second thing was when I would work with the folks on my caseload, I would basically treat them like I would the athletes that I worked with previously or prior. And I would modify some things and scale some things and change things that I needed. But what was really fascinating is that with a lot of those folks, they would improve 
and show progress more significantly and quicker than many of the athletes that I worked with. And that was very uh, motivating for me. It was, it was very addicting in a way to see someone that may start off in PT that couldn't even get out of a chair on yeah. their own within a matter of, of weeks, build up the, the strength to be able to come up out of a chair, maybe using their hands or maybe without using their hands, which didn't always happen. But I did see that trend that they all these folks were very sensitive to a properly dosed exercise. And after that, I was like, man, this group of people, I want to spend more time with them because they're amazing. They're hilarious, <laughs> uh, very helpful. Um, and they respond to the skill, the skills that I have. So that's when I just said, I'm all in and pursued that, that geriatric special specialization, like you have spent some time in home health, uh, and now using those skills in the context of fitness at, at stronger life. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about stronger life. Cause it's a pretty unique setting. So give our audience just a little bit of background as to what do you guys offer at stronger life mm-hmm. and how is it different maybe than regular physical therapy? Yeah. So it stronger life is a physical location in Lexington, Kentucky, where we have group based uh, fitness classes. We also offer individual training and we also offer individual training virtually online. So with folks across the country, it's different from physical therapy in the sense that if anyone's been to physical therapy, you probably experience this. And I know you have Morgan being a PT is that, you know, we work with people for a period of time and, and usually insurance is a factor where we may not be able to see someone any longer, even though we know they can still benefit from what we can provide. And a lot of times towards the end of physical therapy, it's a lot of focusing on building strength and endurance and balance. And we often can't see people long enough to really see as much progress as what is possible. And so they get discharged from physical therapy and there's just not a lot of places to go. There are, you know, based on where you live, there's some good options, like some silver sneaker classes and classes at the YMCA. And there's probably a gym or two that will offer some type of service that's going to be appropriate for you or that particular person, but they're, they're not all too common. And so we found a huge gap here in Lexington, Kentucky, when we were discharging our folks from physical therapy, we knew they needed to get strong. We knew they needed to be around other people because they, a lot of them were isolated. They wanted to to meet friends. They wanted to have fun and continue to get strong and improve their physical capacity over a long haul, but they didn't have anywhere to do it. So that's why we created Stronger Life. So what it looks like is it's uh, myself and then another physical therapist, Jeff Musgrave, started this to where we have folks from all walks of life, all levels of ability, uh, folks that can't get to the ground, for example, folks, folks that could do burpees for days, uh, folks that may need something to hold on to, to stay steady to folks that are running a half marathon. And we have them in a group setting and we're able to modify all the activities that we do together, um, to where we're all getting a really, really awesome workout and having fun doing it. That's great. I think that's so good. I think another big missing need. And if I had, if I had a second brain, I would start this business, but I feel like, (laughs) I think that maintenance therapy is, is really important. Like that Mm -hmm. ongoing, like monthly bi-monthly assessment from a physical therapist, but then getting like a quote unquote, non-skilled individual in there for a home exercise program that doesn't cost someone an arm and a leg. Um, I just feel like there's a huge gap, you know, maybe some students could fill that role, but Anywho, that's a discussion for another time. I think what you're, the gap that you're filling is so important. 
Um, and I know that you have a CrossFit background. So I wanted to mm-hmm. dig into that a little bit. Do you have your level one certification? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Level one. So tell us about that because I live in a rural area. I've never done CrossFit because of mm-hmm. the drive-in and the the times. And it's just like, I'm, I don't have time for that. I'm not going to make time for that right now. So how did your, um, you know, your CrossFit experience and training kind of bleed into this stronger life gym? Yeah, that's a great question. Cause I've been doing CrossFit for, I think three or four years. So a decent amount of time, but, but not a, a huge amount of time. Most of my experience has been in kind of a running background, endurance based okay. type stuff. And that transition from being focused on endurance, which if you are an endurance athlete or runner or jogger or walker, we spend a lot of energy and time thinking about how many miles we may go or how many minutes or hours or whatever it may be. And we may strength train a little bit, but it's not a huge focus, right? It's about volume and, and miles and time and all that stuff. And when I started to do CrossFit, the, sh- the shift was very interesting for me because there's much more emphasis on being a generalist, if you will, that you want to be able to go do that 5K, that half marathon, marathon, whatever. You want to have endurance, but you also want to be able to lift a lot of weight and be super strong. You also want to be able to do gymnastic movements uh, that require you to, to move your body weight on bar, a bar or a ring, for example, or Olympic lifts with a barbell. It asks you to be good at a whole bunch of different things. And it was incredibly humbling because I was and still am not good at, <laughs> at a lot of those things. But the more I went and the more consistent I became, the, the more I was impacted by the, the emphasis on the strength piece. From the physical side of things, in terms of, uh, of I've gotten a lot stronger than when I started, obviously, but it, it influences your perception of yourself and what you're capable of to where I feel stronger mentally in terms of what my back can handle, what my knees can handle, what my shoulders can handle. I'm much more confident in what my body can do and have a better idea of what it can't do. And that has influenced how I work with, with many folks and it's stronger life a ton, because what we often see is that folks are very intimidated to start exercising, especially to start strength training. Yeah. They're worried about uh, surgery or an injury, or they just think they can't do it. And what often happens literally, I would say 90% of the time is their perception of themselves doesn't match reality that folks are often way more capable of doing more than what they perceive and blending some of that CrossFit style training, which we have done at stronger life to some extent really helps people match their perception to reality. If that makes sense. And what we often see is people surprise themselves. They don't realize that they can lift that barbell or that much weight until we give them the opportunity to do that in a safe environment. Um, So the physical side is amazing, but for me, the mental side has been a game changer personally, but then also using that stronger life as well. I think that's amazing. And I didn't really come into strength training on my own until probably I started researching this stuff. So, um, my son will be four in June. And so I never really struggled with my weight or my body until after I had him. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, Oh man, like maybe I'm not as top notch as I thought I was physically, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I, I was like, Hmm, let's do some research here and figure out how to get this weight off. And I realized I was doing everything wrong, you know, low fat, low calorie, mm. a lot of carbs, under eating protein, under eating fat, 
um, focusing on cardio. And that was really interesting because, you know, necessity requires action. And I had this little boy who always wanted me and I had 20 minutes at the gym and I also had a weak pelvic floor, right? And it was 20 minutes before he would, before the daycare provider at the gym was like, we can't handle him anymore, Morgan, you gotta come take him. And so I was really forced into um, appreciating strength training and the efficiency that you can do a quick, effective workout in a minimal amount of time. And that really worked for my lifestyle as a new mom uh, with a weak pelvic pelvic floor uh, with 20 minutes at the gym before my son needed me. And, but now I love it. It's like, I just go and I, I do cardio more for my mental health and for, to keep up my cardiovascular fitness so I can do fun things, but yeah, like strength training two to three times a week for me is my new rhythm, like whether it's a high intensity interval training or strength training at the gym. I just, I love it. And so it's fun to kind of hear you, hear you say that. And one of my coworkers, after I had Dawson, I don't know, maybe six months later, she saw me, she's like, wow, you look great. What are you doing? And I'm like, what we tell our patients to do <laughs> yeah. strength training. <laughs> I'm just doing it. And isn't it true? Yeah. Like we, we know so many clinicians and it's like, are we leading by example? And I think that's a really important conversation to have. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a great question. And that's something that, that I've been chewing on for a while, especially as, as an educator of, of teaching continuing education and, you know, every other weekend or so traveling to some type of clinic or some hospital system or whatever it may be and, and getting to interact with a ton of clinicians in our profession of physical therapy and occupational therapy and the vast majority of folks, A, they're not even practicing what they're preaching to their patients. Mm-hmm. And if they are practicing, what I often find is that their perception of strength training really isn't strength training. It's very, very underdose. And, and if you spend any time in the literature of strength training, regardless, but then especially for, for older adults, you'll see a lot of uh, numbers turn out, right. Percentages. Like, you know, when we were studying for our GCS, you know, 60% of a one rep max is the minimum to build strength. Like you, you see all these numbers based on this one RM one rep max effort, how much weight can you lift with a particular movement? And the vast majority of clinicians have never even tested that they've never even done it. They don't know what it's like to give that all out effort. And therefore are they meeting a 60% of a one RM and the vast majority of folks are not. And that's what we'll see, especially at our courses. Cause we have people lift a lot of yes, weights. I've seen that. Yeah. yeah the, they, they end up setting personal records at our continuing education course because they've never uh, pushed themselves that much. And sometimes it takes that community piece or a good coach or whatever to kind of push you over the edge. Um, but that's been a very interesting and somewhat concerning trend that, that I've observed because, you know, as a clinician, if I'm not practicing this and I don't know what it feels like to give a max effort or even 60% of my max effort, that makes it incredibly challenging to prescribe that to a patient. Right. Very difficult to do. Um, so there's just underdosage all around. When we say underdosage, for those that aren't familiar, underdosage being that when we are trying to prescribe this exercise, that it's probably too easy it's underneath that threshold that is required for you to actually get better or change. And we're seeing way too much of that in our profession, for sure. 
Let's talk about that in detail. So I want people to compare this to a medication. So let's say you need 20 milligrams of a medication to get the effect of that medication that you need under dosing would be like taking two milligrams, you know? Mm. <laughs> so, and I used to teach jazzercise before I had kids and started my business wow. and I saw that a lot. And so it's like, you know, doing bicep curls to music with five pound weights, when you can do 30 of them, it's not effective strength training. So we mm. need to like back up and let's really say someone's coming to this podcast interview from scratch and they're like, okay, tell me how I can build the ideal strength training program for me. Let's say they don't really have a lot of joint pain or issues. They're just kind of the average Joe. They want to start strength training and they want to understand it and they don't want it to take forever, mm -hmm. but what is ideal? So let's kind of just break down the basics here. Yeah. And that's, that is, can be very intimidating for a lot of folks, right? Like starting strength training, you see a lot of complicated rep schemes and yes, numbers and yes. all that type of stuff. The big thing you want to focus on is that it is challenging. It is very, very difficult to do. Now to determine that this is what we will do at Stronger Life when people are starting, because initially your perception of challenging and hard that may just be your perception and that's not necessarily the reality. And so what we'll do is something called an AMRAP set, an AMRAP set. So as many reps as possible is what AMRAP uh, stands for. And so what we'll do is let's say we're going to do five sets of five reps of an exercise. That's a, a pretty good standard. If you're trying to build strength, that's a good set and rep scheme to do. So five sets of five reps of a particular activity. And if you're starting off, let's say uh, we're doing something like a deadlift where you're just picking the weight, a, a dead weight off the ground. It could be a kettlebell, a barbell, a dumbbell, a small child, a bag of dog food, whatever it is. Let's say that first set of five, feeling pretty good, not too hard, right? Second set of five after a couple minutes rest, let's add a little bit of weight. Cool. Manageable. Third set. Still felt good. Okay. Add a little bit of weight, maybe a small jump fourth set. So you've done 20 reps at this point and it's probably a little bit challenging, right? It's somewhat hard. The fifth set, we're going to do an AMRAP set. And this is where you're going to see what you're really capable of. So on that fifth set, you do as many reps as you can. And for new folks, well, what you'll often see is that they will end up doing 20 reps. Yeah. Something along those lines. Yeah. That tells you I can lift a whole lot more weight. Yeah. I am underdosing. This weight is too easy. When you do that AMRAP set, that weight should be so heavy. You can only do maybe seven or eight reps mm -hmm. total. That's the intensity that we're looking for. For our experienced lifters, when we get to that fifth set in the AMRAP set, they're typically only able to do seven or eight reps. They've dialed in that intensity. Now, keep in mind, that's going to look different for everybody, right? Like we could, I could be doing that and it could be 200 pounds and I could have Susan beside me and it may be, you know, 300 pounds, right? My high intensity would be low intensity for her. Yeah. So it's all relative, but that AMRAP set is really helpful. So five sets of five is what I would do on that last set, do an AMRAP set. If you blow off the doors and do like 20 reps, you know, that weight is way too light. You should only be able to do about seven or eight reps on the and fifth, that, 
on the, yeah, on the fifth one. And then, you know, next time you go to do that, okay, that's where you're going to start probably mm-hmm. is with that, with that last weight. So I have a couple questions there. So do you mm-hmm. progressively increase the weight for each set before you get to that AMRAP set? With newer folks, typically I will okay. just to, to graduate that warm up. Okay. You know, to where they're feeling more confident and comfortable with our newer folks, you know, we, we will do a warm up to get ready for everything, but that first set is already going to be relatively heavy. Okay. Um, so new folks, I would work your way up. If you're a seasoned veteran, if you will, you can start pretty high early on if, if you've already warmed up prior to that. Okay. So let's say that I'm going to do a squat. Okay. Mm -hmm. So my normal, and this is good feedback for me too. So my normal is mm, eight to 12 repetitions and I do two to three sets. And so Mm -hmm. are you encouraging me to increase the number of sets or how do, how do people structure that? Or does it depend on, you know, the movement that we're doing? Yeah. So if we're wanting to build strength, we want to have a relatively high intensity and what that often requires is lower volume. Yep. So if you do three sets of eight, three sets of 12, that could be 24 reps all the way up to um, 36, three sets of 12. So that's a decent amount of volume. If, if we break that up and do more sets, so like five sets of five, that's 25 total reps but I'll be able to lift more weight because I'm only doing five reps at a time. Mm-hmm. So it'll be a higher weight, a higher intensity, and that's going to drive more strength adaptation. Okay. So for most folks, cause most folks will be doing three by t- three sets of 10, right. three sets of eight, three sets of 12 for a lot of folks say, hold on a second, maybe do five sets or so, but lower your reps. And that's going to allow you to lift heavier weight. That's going to get you stronger. Okay. So let me ask you this. What if I start and I have, oh, plates on each side plus 25 plus maybe 35 and I can do Mm -hmm. five on the first set. And then my second set, I can only do three. Then do I decrease the weight so that I can finish the last three sets? Uh, At five, you could a little bit. It's not that big of a deal to just keep trying to go for three. Okay. Going to fatigue. I mean, if we're talking, if you're an elite level lifter, then yeah, you're going to start geeking out about some of those things. But for, for newer folks, don't worry about it. I mean, the fact that you're giving that high effort, uh, and you're reaching that threshold, uh, is a really good thing. So I wouldn't even worry. I wouldn't even sweat that. Okay. So let's talk about, you said, what did you say between seven to eight repetitions to fatigue is the goal? Is that what you said? A general, that's a a good general rule of thumb, because then, you know, you're going to be hitting a high percentage of your max capacity. So if we're doing five sets of five, only able to do two or three more reps beyond that. Yeah. Seven or eight reps. That's a pretty good spot to be in. I think that's something that we really need to touch on. We're not just saying do five just for the heck of it. It's like you're doing five to fatigue. And so let's really Mm -hmm. dial in. Like, what is that to fatigue to muscle failure? What does that mean? Yes. So if we're, if we go to this AMRAP set example, you know, we did one set, two set, three set, four set, our fifth sets at AMRAP set, that weight should be so heavy. You can only do seven or eight reps. 
what to fatigue, what that feels like is you can't do anymore. You may even try and you can't even complete it. And you're like, okay, I'm done. Yep. So that's, that's what that feels like. You go to, to failure, if you will, on that last set. And so if, when you go to lift again, you know, like that first set, I can go heavier. Probably you may start at that weight that you, you previously did that AMRAP set. You'll do five reps. You know, you could do a couple more, but, but you're not, you're just going to stay right there. Cause you know, you're working at a, at a high intensity of your max capacity. And that that's really that sweet spot where we can see, you know, the improvement in strength. And I think we need to talk about like a, a from an injury standpoint. So mm-hmm. do you usually recommend people start at a lower intensity and like build up to that high intensity or do you just say we're going to go for the high intensity right away or is it kind of person specific? I'd, I'd say a general rule of thumb is that I'm, I'm not pushing them too soon, too quickly. And it is person specific for sure. But like in stronger life, you know, the first couple of weeks, we're just having people moving. Yeah. If you come, that's a win, right? Especially if they're completely new to exercise and they haven't experienced like muscle soreness before and things like that. Let's just move. Let's have some fun, give some high fives, meet some folks, get used to the equipment and some of the lingo uh, that you may not be familiar with. That period also, they're adjusting, they're seeing like what they're capable of doing. They're probably surprising themselves. They're learning a lot about technique. Right. That's important. Right. And at that point, um, usually for a lot of folks, it's a couple of weeks. We'll start to progressively load it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and but all that to say, folks are always in the driver's seat. We'll just say, hey, if you want to go heavier, you can if you want to. Right. I'm never <laughs> I never manually, you know, make them go heavier per se, but I'll give them the green light for sure. Um the technique portion, it can come, people can get their form down relatively quickly. Some folks it may take a little bit longer. And so if they aren't showing that great technique we're still going to have them do the exercise and maybe add a little bit of weight, but they're probably not going to failure per se. Um, want to make sure their mechanics are as good as they can be um, when we're really starting to, to load it up to those super high percentages of, of their max capacity. And we should talk about that because we've talked, I've had another physical therapist on here, her, she was a PhD uh, osteoporosis research. Mm -hmm. And so she was really obviously recommending some of the same things that you are. And she's, um, recommending more machines for older adults to reduce the risk of injury. So it kind of takes away some of the movement, like extraneous movement that can cause injury. And I feel that like, I feel more confident doing a rep to fatigue. For example, like if I really want to isolate my quads on a quad extension or on a leg press machine versus if I have a bar and I'm doing a squat. So do you, do you see that? Do you find people are more comfortable maybe going to that failure or fatigue with a machine versus a free weight? Or is it more Mm -hmm. of just, you gotta use, gotta get used to that concept. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, people definitely feel more comfortable with, with the machines, right? Cause they're kind of, they're putting uh bumper rails, right. Or that's a good way to put it will, yeah. on the movement. And so you can really push yourself there and that's, that's perfectly fine. I would say it, it does. It may take people a little bit longer to really push themselves if it's a free weight 
uh, based movement because you don't have those guardrails like with the barbell and dumbbell and kettlebell and, and whatever weight you want to use. How, however, the I do I would encourage folks to push yourself to try some max efforts with some of those free weights, especially as you get more experience, because what you're going to see is the translation to real life activities is, is profound to where a lot of, especially a lot of the movements that we'll use in stronger life, or we may call them functional movements, which that's kind of a, a broad umbrella term, but it's a lot of movements that we need to be able to do for a lot of things to be a, human in this world, like being able to pick things up off the ground, to get up and down from a chair, to put something over our head, to get something heavy from the ground up to our shoulders, for example, uh, stairs, steppings, those, those types of things to where if we're able to train them in that manner, in a free weight manner to where we don't have those guardrails, it'll translate a lot more to real life and see some of those real life benefits. Not to say the station based uh, or machine-based exercises don't translate to real life because they do for sure, but maybe not as much as some of these free weight type activities. And um, you mentioned so. some, I kind of wanted to dig your, to pick your brain a little bit more about what mm-hmm. are your favorite um, free weight based functional movements that you find are really effective, especially for, let's say people over 55 who might be fearful of injuring a joint because they're doing mm-hmm. a movement wrong. What are some of your go-tos for people? Yeah, I'd say if I were to pick a favorite, the deadlift is hands down the fan favorite at Stronger Life for sure. That kind of surprises me, honestly. Right. It's the scariest when they come in, but man, after they've been there for a few weeks, it is hands down their favorite exercise. So for those that are are listening, uh, a deadlift is where you have a dead weight on the ground. So let's say if it's a barbell or a kettlebell, whatever it is, you're standing over top of that weight. You're bending over, not at your back, but at your hips. So your back stays straight. It's a lot of mo- motion from your hips and a little bit from your knees. And then you use mainly use your legs to pick that weight up, but you don't pick it up with your arms. Your arms are straight the whole time. You're doing a lot with your, your legs. Mm-hmm. And your core that, too, to protect yeah. your back. Yeah. It's a total, it's definitely a total body exercise, but we have a lot of folks that are scared to death to lift heavy things up off the ground, to bend over. They've had back pain or whatever it may be. Yeah. And whenever we teach them how to do this movement and use more of their hips rather than their back, it changes their, their whole perception of themselves because that movement is also the movement that most folks are strongest in. If you do any of the the main lifts, like a deadlift, a squat, a bench press, uh, a shoulder press, some of these different movements, you'll have more weight on the bar typically with the deadlift than any of those other movements. And that really changes people's perception of what they're capable of doing. When you've got someone, I think of Beverly Coleman, Beverly wouldn't mind me shouting her name out. <laughs> you know, hey, she's, hey, Beth. <laughs> You know, she goes, she has a, a big dog that she has to get dog food, bags of dog food for. She would get the little 10 pound bags because she was scared to death to touch the 25 pounder. And now she's deadlifting 65, 75 pounds easy, you know, at the age of 75 with osteoporosis and a whole host of other 
medical conditions that she never thought that she'd ever be able to lift that much weight. Now she's handling that with ease. And now she's actually saving money because she's going to buy that <laughs> 25 down, uh, pound bag of dog food. So it, it changes things physically, but also mentally as well. So that's number one. I'll pick two more. The yeah, second one, I, the, the squat, like you mentioned. So basically getting to a chair up from the chair, that same motion. Uh, but maybe we can pull that chair out and just see how far you can go down. Uh, that is a great total body, but definitely lower body strengthening activity that translates to so many things, uh, you know, walking stairs, getting to and from a chair, uh, getting to and from the ground. It can be really helpful. Yep. Um, so that one's huge. There's all kinds of ways you can load it up too. you could put something on your back. You can hold it underneath your chin, like right in front of your chest. You could wear a vest. There's all kinds of options. So we find that one to be, um, we can get all kinds of different types of folks lifting relatively quickly with that one. And then third one would be something like a push-up. Mm -hmm. The upper extremity, especially pushing strength is so important with so many things that we do, especially the ability to get to and from the ground easily. Uh, Got to be strong in your arms. So doing something as simple as a push-up which for many, it's probably on a countertop or a step or a box or whatever chair, uh, maybe on the ground. Um, that is, is very potent as well. So I'd say those for us and a lot of the folks that we work with at Stronger Life, that's our top three. And one other random question I I've heard at CrossFit, when you go, they like take you through the movements and kind of be sure that you're like checked off to know how to do all the movements. Do you do that with your people? Like, okay, let's really work on your squat form or your mm -hmm. deadlift form. Do you kind of take them through that as well? Yeah. So every, every class we have a, a our class plan, right? Like what are we going to do that day or the workout of the day, if you will. And so based on what we're going to do that day, we have a prep or warm up period where we just get our heart pumping, loosen up the joints but we also do a lot of work on making sure that people are doing the things that we want them to do in terms of technique. And this is when we also are able to find uh, what option of that exercise is good for them. Yeah. And that's where with stronger life, that's where it, it's very, it can be very different than a lot of other fitness group based classes because the class may not be set up to handle a big difference in people's abilities. Mm -hmm. That's why, especially a lot of these bigger fitness chains, franchises that you'll see, it's a certain type of person that's going into that gym uh, that's able to do all the same things for, for the most part, right? But our crowd, we got all kinds of different folks in there. Some can't even get to the ground, some can. We have to be able to find options for all those folks. And we'll use that prep period to make sure we're good to go. And so by the time we get through with that, they know what they need to do, how they need to be able to do it. And then we'll get into the, the workout piece that we'll do together. And that's where the community side comes in and the hooting and hollering and <laughs> all the fun stuff. Uh, we, we did some hooting and hollering and jazzercise. That's for sure. Oh, I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Um, okay. So what are the top risk factors for getting hurt? You know, when someone's kind of starting, maybe they're thinking, okay, Morgan, I'm, I'll start strength training. You've You've beat this horse long enough. I'll finally go do it. What should they keep in mind to prevent injury starting out? Yeah. Two things come to mind. The first thing is 
to think about the danger of not starting Nice. of how dangerous it can be if you don't start. And, you know, we see this right Morgan all the time okay. in terms of our, our work in physical therapy. So many of the things that we see when folks come, whether we're an out, outpatient clinic or home health or a skilled nursing facility, so many of the issues that they struggle with are preventable. Mm-hmm. If they were stronger, fit, better endurance, better balance. It probably would have prevented a whole lot of things, not everything, obviously, but a whole lot of things. So we have a lot of folks that they're just scared to start. And I really wish that they were more scared to keep doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. The maybe sedentary behavior or not really challenging yourself or pushing yourself that opens the door to physical decline and you can do something about it. So that's the first thing I would not be scared to start. I'd be scared to not start. The second thing is so many injuries are related to you trying to ask your body to do something that it's not ready to handle, Yeah, which sounds silly, right? Yeah. <laughs> and the easiest way to prevent that is that progression, a uh, slow progression and listening to your body. So this is, it's a partial responsibility of, of you, right? But also your coach as well to be able to, uh, or your PT, to observe to give you options that are appropriate to your abilities and to progress those, but not make these huge jumps. It's a gradual progression uh, in weight or even uh, volume or time, just gradually progressing your program. That's going to give your body the ability to adapt. And when I say adapt, that means your muscles are getting stronger. Your tendons are, are getting stronger. Your bones are getting denser. Your body will adapt to where it can handle more and more and you, you won't get hurt. So that, that initial progression is, is pretty, pretty important. Yeah. It's I'd kind say, of a, oh, go ahead. What, and I would say it's what I've found too, is that is much harder for the folks that were previously active mm-hmm. or competitive, like yes. the second time arounders, right? Like <laughs> the, uh, the former runner played basketball or whatever they, you know, had some kids, had a busy job. They said, all right, enough of this exercise crap. I need, I'm just surviving right now. And then life slows down and they come back, but they still have that athlete brain. They still remember how fast they ran or how much weight they lifted. And they try and start back where they used to be, but their body is very different. (laughs) And the weekend warrior, if you will, that's a, it's, that's another name for it. But those folks, I'm much more cautious of them. I, I love it when folks have said, I've never done this before. I've never exercised. Like, great. We're working with a clean slate. I'm more scared of the person that comes in telling me their PR of their mile that they did 20 years ago. I'm like, okay, we got <laughs> to make sure <laughs> we, yeah. Dollars back. Yeah. Pump the break. I think another thing too, is consistency. Like, my dad and my my mom, I've been harping on them for years to exercise. They're finally in a routine, but with my dad, especially he would start and he would stop and he would yeah. start and he would stop. And he would always be like, I don't want to be sore. You know, every time I go, I'm sore. I'm like, that's because you go once a month, dad, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you got to up the frequency a little bit. So, yeah. um, how would you recommend, uh, someone schedule their strength training sessions like twice a week, three times a week, if they want to go every day, working kind of different muscles, what are your general recommendations for the frequency and in- that we work our muscles? Yeah. So the frequency at a minimum, a couple times a week, yeah, for sure. 
Um, that can be tough though, if you are just solely relying on that, because like you said, that delayed onset muscle soreness or DOMS can just kind of linger on and it's kind of counterintuitive, but the best thing to counteract that DOMS is actually to keep moving. Yeah. Just got to get into it, start moving and that will, will wear away. And so what we, we do a lot of strength training at Stronger Life to where most of our folks, they are lifting relatively heavy three to four times a week, but they're different muscle groups. Right. So we're not doing squats four times a week per se. Um, if we do squat, let's say we, we lift heavy, let's say we do that five sets of five uh, of a squat on Monday. Well, we're probably not going to go that heavy or do five sets of five of a squat again that week, but we may do like air squats, for example, the same type of movement, but not, not having weight. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that can be, that can be helpful. So trying to counterbalance it with what body parts or movements that you're, that you're challenging is, is huge. And then continuing to move despite having that, that muscle soreness. So what you'll see, like for how we program, we'll have like a heavy day on Monday where we're doing our back squats, five sets of five. Uh, the next day may be a little more cardio base where we're just moving, not lifting heavy weight per se. And that can help counteract a lot of that muscle soreness. And then by, you know, Wednesday, we're ready to lift again. We may not lift squats. We may do overhead press, for example. Um, so it's constantly, you know, varying that to where you're not just beating down one part of your body over and over and over again, multiple times a week. I think one takeaway from today for me is less is more. And I think that this is a delicate balance. And so I'm going to explain what I mean. Mm -hmm. I'm used to doing, you know, two to three leg exercises at the gym. I might do like a hip thrust bridge, a split squat and squats, and then maybe a deadlift too, or a straight leg deadlift. Mm. And so from, from this conversation, what I'm going to try is even lowering my reps further. So reps or repetitions for people who have been listening this far. And they're like, what the heck is a rep? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you know, if I'm doing five repetitions and then five sets of that same squat exercise at a higher load, um, I think that's great, but I'm going to have to time manage myself and I won't be able to probably do three to four leg exercises, you know, maybe one to mm -hmm. two. And my little achiever mind always likes to think more is better, more exercise. If you can get three to four, you know, why don't you do that instead of like five sets of the same exercise? So that's kind of a big takeaway for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I'm kind of, I want you to talk about that doms a little bit more because that's mm -hmm. my mom and, uh, hypertrophy because mm -hmm. my mom's two beefs for strength training, which she does. She does the, the circuit at her gym that she likes. And I'm, you kind of get to the point with your own parents where you're like, just good job, you know, just yeah. keep it up. <laughs> but you coach all these other people and you're like, I'm just done coaching my own parents. <laughs> my mom's a member at Stronger Life. I, yes. I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> you know, and they're just wonderful people, but I, I'm just grateful that they're going and I'm done nitpicking their, their, what their choices oh, are. Oh yeah. Um, and so she's like, Morgan, I don't want to get bulky. And I'm like, mom, you don't have the testosterone and you don't eat the volume to get bulky. So can you kind of talk about women maybe who are listening and they're like, I don't want to lift weights because I don't want to look like Ryan Reynolds on TV. 
Fair, it's not gonna fair. happen. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think people realize how hard it is to become like that. <laughs> they eat a lot of food. Like they, they eat a lot of food. They're gym rats. They eat a lot of food. Like it's very, very challenging. Uh, and then, like you said, just the sheer uh, hormonal differences alone are going to prevent uh, you know women from from looking like Ryan Reynolds <laughs> or the rock is another yeah. one that I'm oh, like, the oh my gosh. Like, can you just imagine his training schedule? It's like probably a full-time, it is a full-time yeah. job for him. Right. So, so yeah, the, the whole, I don't want to get bulky thing. Uh, you're good. Don't worry <laughs> about that. Worry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> probably just an excuse. Yeah. It. <laughs> I've never, I've never met, actually met someone to where that, that actually happened. Mm-hmm. in stronger life, for example, uh, you have to work extremely hard to, to even notice, um, uh, somewhat change, you know, in terms of, of bulking up in terms of like, uh, toning, if you will, or, you know, decreasing their body fat percentage to where their muscles are definitely more defined. That is definitely, uh, very achievable and a goal for many folks for sure. Um, so yeah, so the whole bulk thing, I wouldn't worry about that. The, the muscle soreness side, um, <clears throat> that was the other beef, right? That your mother had. Yeah. She's like, Oh, Morgan, I'm just so sore after I left. And I'm yeah. like, it's a good thing, mom. That means that yeah. you're getting stronger. And right. so <laughs> you can tell how I communicate with my parents, right? Don't we all do that a little bit? We all nag on them a little oh, bit. Oh yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, so yeah, that, and that's where like at, at stronger life, we're very intentional. Our first two weeks with folks, which we were not when we started, I was trying to get people to that higher percentage as quickly as possible. And let's go, let's go, let's go. Come on heavier, blah, blah, blah. And these people were wrecked. They just started exercise. Their muscle soreness was just through the roof. They could barely get out of bed the next day. Like I was doing them a disservice, but what you see is that the more consistent you are, like you said, over time, that soreness goes down and down and down. Now I will say, it's not like you're never going to have muscle soreness because you are, it's just not going to be as debilitating, but the more, the more consistent you are, you're also going to see the progress and the improvements that often happen when you have experienced muscle soreness. And that's when you start to uh, be thankful for it. Like you said, like you almost like are chasing it in a way. Yeah. It's like, if I'm not sore, it wasn't a good workout. Yeah. Yeah. It's the tolerance for that goes up tremendously. Um, so I'm not, I don't want that to come across as like, we always want to be walking around complaining and aching. Like that's not the case whatsoever, but man, if you stick it out this first few weeks and stay consistent, your tolerance for that soreness goes up tremendously. And the overall soreness will typically go down. I will say though, and this is where my, my wife's a, a physician. She does a lot of precision uh, medicine that involves a lot of genomic analyzation and, and what that area uh, in terms of epigenetics and that whole realm, they're actually showing that folks can have a genetic predisposition to having more delayed onset muscle soreness. Hmm. So there are folks that when they do strength training, they're much more likely to have more severe muscle soreness than others. And what they often do with those types of individuals, they may supplement like zinc, for example, is a very common supplement. Uh, That's everyone's going to think, Oh, I must have that gene. Therefore I'm going <laughs> to, which is not necessarily the case. It's not as common as, as what you want to think. 
Um, but there is some individual variability in how we experience soreness. So I do want to acknowledge that for sure. That's good. So keep moving is one thing to deal with the soreness, get the blood flowing, get the Mm -hmm. muscles loosening up couple more questions before we wrap it up. Do you do any mobility work? Because as a, he kind of mentioned this, but when you're doing those functional movements, you are naturally incorporating mm-hmm. quote unquote mobility work just to keep those joints flexible and mobile. Do you do any other specific mobility work with your stronger life clients? Yeah. A lot of that will happen at the beginning and the end of, okay. of our struct, our class structures or our individual sessions. So with that, that warm up that prep that we do, we're doing a lot of mobility where let's say if I'm squatting, for example, the squat requires your, a lot of movement or range of motion from your ankles, your knees, your hips. And so we're making sure that those joints are warmed up loose, that they're ready to rock. Mm -hmm. Those are usually a lot of dynamic stretches, if you will. So we're moving, we're not holding a static stretch for 30 seconds or a minute. We're moving, but trying to move through our full range of motion to get all those joints uh, lined up. So it'll be dependent on what we're going to be doing that day. And then when we're done, that's when we'll do a lot more of the static stretching. So if we do, let's say we did a lot of deadlifts that day, the deadlift uses a lot of your backside, your, your booty, the back of your legs, your hamstrings. So we'll do a lot of static stretches of like a hamstring stretch, for example. So the front is more movement-based mobility, if you will. And then the end will be more static stretching and folks are, that's when they're relaxed, calm, hold the stretch, talk it up with their neighbor, just kind of let the heart rate come down. Um, And that's, that's what that'll look like. Awesome. And then another question was, when do you recommend people start strength training? Cause when we were prepping for this interview, you said, when does it time to start strength training? Yeah. The very common question that, that we will get. And I would say right now, yesterday, 20 years ago, just get going, <laughs> just get going. We have, especially at strong life, we have a lot of folks that have had an injury. They've had a surgery or they're going to have a surgery, or they've just gotten a diagnosis of breast cancer and they're going to start radiation in three or four weeks. The stronger you are, the better off you're going to be, the more resilient you're going to be, whatever life throws at you. So I would start now. And if you find someone, a qualified physical therapist, not every physical therapist, but someone that actually practices what they (laughs) preach or a fitness professional that can introduce you to a solid exercise program that is tailored to your, uh, your body, your ability, you can get a lot of benefits very quickly. It's going to make you better off for, for the long haul. So I would say right now is the yep. best time. Yep. And then last question, you mentioned it offline. Uh, we were talking about our biggest beefs in geriatric physical therapy. And I always, I've told this quote before, but my favorite quote is from this book. And it says, the only reason that we should be having an older adult kick a ball or kick a ankle weight from a seated position is if their ball is to kick a, or if their goal is to kick a ball from that seated position. It's a pretty pointless exercise. And you said not only that, but it's dangerous. And so can you explain that just a smidge more to kind of wrap it up the danger in this underdosing that's just rampant about among physical therapy? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's along the same lines of, of someone that's worried about starting, right? You need to be more worried about not starting than starting an (laughs) exercise program, but for for so many clinicians, especially in the context of physical therapy, we'll have 
people come into our door or we go into their home or whatever, we're in, the, we're in a, a very interesting situation. We have so many folks that have deconditioning, uh, pain, some type of functional ailment that's literally threatening their independence, their quality of life. Yes, yes. And they're coming to us for help. And what we do is give them a freaking long arc quad or ankle <laughs> pump, or we throw a balloon in between their knees We're and tell them to squeeze it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that is going to combat and defend them from, you know, pain, weakness, deconditioning, mm-hmm. threatening their livelihood and independence we're wasting their time and we're just putting them in more of a dangerous situation. That's opening the door to continual functional decline, potentially a fall, potentially not being able to live in their home or wherever that is for them. It's an urgent situation. And yet we often just waste that opportunity with these underdose, these easy exercises. So for clinicians listening, my gosh, don't waste that opportunity. We need to challenge individuals because we know they can respond relatively quickly And that could be the difference between someone being able to stay in their home or not, or preventing that fall or not. And we're in a really unique position. We often waste it, but that we don't have to definitely, we don't have to. Well, thank you so much. And I would love for you to share, where can people learn more about you, um, both from the stronger life standpoint. And then if clinicians are listening and they're like, oh, I need more of that in my life. Let me go learn from him. (laughs) Where can they learn from you? Yeah. So a good home base, um, for from the stronger life side is strongerlifehq.com. So strongerlifehq.com, it's all one word, a uh, bunch of resources, videos. If you have questions about these exercises and intensity and all that stuff, we've got a bunch of videos, free resources on there, and you can shoot us an email. That's all on that site. From the, the education side of things for the clinicians, if you go to ptonice.com, uh, that's with the Institute of Clinical Excellence. And so we teach uh, within the older adult division, the course is there. So ptonice.com is a good place uh, for the education awesome. side. And we will link all those resources below. Um, any like social media places that you're most active? Uh, Instagram. Okay. I'll link uh, dust, that. Yeah, whatever. But those two sites are the, I'd say the main ones. Perfect. Okay. Thank you so much, Dustin. I've appreciated this conversation. It was a, a long awaited one about geriatric rehab and the importance awesome. of strength training and being consistent and working at a hard enough intensity and just how important it is to maintain your mobility and your independence and your quality of life. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. This is awesome. Yeah. We'll touch base again it. soon. Thank you. All right. Thank Bye. you. Thanks for listening to the Reshape Your Health podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a rating and review, and don't forget to tell a friend. To learn more and connect online, check out the links in the show notes.